Oh, is there no video? <laughs> hey, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to church. Oh, wow. Oh, it's going to be something today. Hey, oh, is there? teach you a new song. When all I see is the battle, you see the victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see the mountain root. And as I walk through the shadows, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, 
for I am safe with you. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear, I'll lay at your feet. I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. one is one that the kids are singing right now. Just one word, you come the storm that surrounds me. Just one word, 
the darkness has to retreat just one touch I feel the presence of heaven just one touch my eyes were open to see my heart can't help but believe there's nothing that our God can't do there's not a mountain that he
thankful for the amazing grace that God gives each of us. Let's sing this great hymn. Lift your voices with me, amazing grace. grace this morning. This unmerited favor of God that loves us recklessly. Sing with me.
time of prayer. And you're welcome to stand. You're welcome to sit. You're welcome to come. Uh, we have at our church these altars, and they're great places for you to come and just put yourself in a posture of prayer and submission before God. Let's sing it one more time. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. That's why we're here, so we can become more and more like Jesus, so that we can learn his character, so that we can live his character. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
you love us so much and we don't understand it. You love us so deeply and so completely. You look at us with eyes of compassion and care. You see us. You see us as made in the image of God. You see us as brothers and sisters, as family. Jesus, when we think about who you are, if we can really see who you are, it changes us. Sometimes I confess, Jesus, that I get it wrong. I confess that I think that it's my job to fix it all. I think that it's my job to tell people how they're wrong. I think that it's my job to scream a lot. But Jesus, when we look at who you are and your character and how you were a servant to all, how your life was all grace and love, Jesus, if we could understand that, Maybe we could make a real difference in this world for you. If we really understood that, Jesus, maybe that freedom that we feel when we think about your character will just spill over into the people in our lives and that they won't be able to deny your love and grace for them. So God, today, will you help us to see ourselves as loved by you completely because Jesus I believe that when we do we'll be able to love others better teach us to see ourselves in the mirror the way that you see us and the grace that you pour out on our lives will you remind us that we don't have it all together even though we think we might. We don't have all the answers, even though we think we do. Will you give us teachable spirits? Will you give us your eyes and your ears, and will you open up our hearts to people around us who are really struggling to see themselves as loved and accepted by you. Lord, your grace and your goodness, your love, your kindness, those, those are the characteristics that people are so drawn to. May you make us more like you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
It is good to see you, friends. This morning, I will be leaving with the kids once again. We're going to have a good time back there. It's prize Sunday. Don't you wish you got prizes on the fourth week of every month? (laughs) It's prize Sunday, and that means that they have a Bible verse that they memorize through the month, and they get to tell me what it is, and I help them out a lot. And then they get a prize. Y'all, today, their Bible verse. Y'all know what it is? You're ready for it. I know you are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. You get a prize. So, <laughs> um, well, that's, that's part of the reason that we come here today, right? We practice that. So will you stand with me? We're going to practice loving God and loving others in this time of extending peace to each other. And really what we're saying is that because I love God, I'm called to love you too. And so may we be people who love God and love each other well. So let me be one of the first to say maybe, may the peace of Christ be with you this morning. Thank you. Will you extend that peace to each other and extend peace to these kiddos too as we as we move out of the sanctuary.
All right. Technical difficulties and all. Hey, what's up, y'all? Good to see you. I didn't make it to this side. Hey. Um, I'm Garen. I'm one of the pastors here, and I think I've met most of you, but if I haven't, along with Jen and Jason um, and Tim, who is homesick. Um, so we, we serve with you and alongside you. And so I have the joy of doing a couple of announcements. And so let me give you three today, and they're going to be really fast. The first one, how can I help? Well, that's a great question, and let me tell you how you can help. We have a family that is moving down from Pennsylvania, and they're, um, they're coming from a Nazarene church up there, and they're moving down to Port Orange, and their small group helps them pack Friday. And they've been driving Saturday and Sunday, and guess what they need help with Monday? Unloading. This is our chance, y'all. Pionaz is a hospitable place. And I'm hoping that some of you can help tomorrow unload um, this wonderful family. If you can help, see me and and I'll try to connect everyone together. Um, But let's let's welcome this family well as they start this new journey in this this place where we all suffer with the sun and the ocean and the... Do I? So I haven't heard back from her yet. Because I think they may be figuring out if they're breaking it up into two days or three days. But I'm assuming any time they'll take help. Probably evening would be easiest for many of us who are working. So I'll try to get more information. Hopefully you're on our email blast or our text blast. And I'll send out that information once I have it. Okay? The next thing is next Sunday. For the summer months, we are doing potlucks the first Sunday of every month. If you haven't been to one of our potlucks, let me tell you. Our people know how to cook. And um, pineapple something or other, I'm talking to you. Lisa made this pineapple something that was, I don't know what it was. It was like heaven in a 9 by 13. And so, uh, like, (laughs) no, you get to bring it again. It's not a chore. It's a blessing. No, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. But next Sunday... After the service, we're going to have a time of uh, just sharing and hanging out and connecting with each other. And then there's one other thing that you could do. You could go home, take your Nazarene nap, and then join us. I think it's at 2 o'clock is when it starts. Yes. 2 o'clock. Down, if, if you go down Taylor and turn right, right across from Neighbors, there is an open area where a church is meeting right now. And we've got, what, six or eight churches that are combining to do recovery celebration. And it's... CR, it's broken chains, it's a bunch of groups coming together to just celebrate freedom that we have in Christ. And so I'm hoping that you'll join them there. I, I think they're having uh, raffles and things like that. I think Danny is going to be... Uh, yeah, that, that, that Starburst Fender will be given away to someone uh, next Sunday. So yeah, it's going to be good. So don't miss it. And I think that's it, right? So, so as we continue, uh, we move into a time of giving, and it's always it's been weird since we've been back from COVID because we're not passing the place around and things like that. But we always want to make time in our service to remember that we have been given much, and so we give. Um, we are part of a church that believes very much in giving, not just money, although money is necessary for us to do a lot of the ministries, but our time and our talents. And I'm thankful for people who step up and use their talents in the front, in the back, in classrooms, throughout the week in small groups. We are a people that give. And so 
as we come to this time of offering, uh, I encourage you to ask God, how do you want me to give today? What's one thing I can do to give back to you, Jesus, for all that you've done for me? What's something new today that I can give back for you? So let's pray together, and then we'll have a little little time, and you can see different ways that you can give financially if that's the way that God is speaking to you. So, Jesus, every good and perfect gift comes from you. You are the giver of all good things. I thank you for the way that you provide for us. I thank you for the way that you look over us and you walk with us. God, I thank you that you're with us in the joys, and I thank you that you are also with us in our grief and in our hurting. And sometimes you miraculously change things, and sometimes your presence is all that you give us, but your presence is more than enough. So thank you for the way that you give us your spirit. I pray that you'll be with us now as we give. I pray that you will help us to learn more and more what it means to live lives of generosity. And I pray that you will help us to be living billboards of your grace. This love that is relentless and reckless and always pursuing. May we be your agents that live out your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. You're going to see ways you can give. God bless you. to recap quickly, take 90 seconds, then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor Jason. We started at Pentecost talking about our native tongue, which is love. And how can we speak this native language, this native tongue of love to those around us? And then we talked about how important it is for us to have communion with God and community with each other so that we can fulfill the ministry and the mission of God in this world. You with me? Then last week, we talked about something else. We talked about um, hearing the hum of the Spirit and how there are times in our lives where what we, what we drove to get us here won't be what we need to get us to the next place. So the question is, are we listening to the hum of the Spirit? Are we listening to that voice that says, it's time to switch gears, it's time to do something different, it's time to minister in a different way? That's something that our church board has been praying about for about the last 18 months. And one of the things that we prayed about and felt led 
is to bring on Pastor Jason, who is constantly hearing the hum of the Spirit in new and fresh ways. And so um, it hit me a couple weeks ago. I've had Jason preach before, and I've asked him to share a little bit, but I haven't really just said, hey, man, the floor is yours. Tell your story, like, what's God doing, and it's yours. So Pastor Jason is going to talk to you today as we hear more about this Spirit of God and creative ways where God is moving. So y'all give it up for Pastor Jason. All right. Patsy, do you hear me okay? Kind of? All right. She's always my testing station there. If she hears me, we're good. All right. Well, I uh, this is my 52nd week here at Fort Orange Nazarene. So, first week of uh, July. It's my first week last year. So, I'm, I'm almost a native, right? I've got a really great farmer's tan. Uh, now, I have shared my kind of my testimony, uh, why God led me to do you know, to be a minister. But that has transformed over the years, and uh, not in always the, the most fun ways. Actually, the part, this part of the journey right now, I think is I'm going to consider it the worst part of the journey so far. Well, I don't want to say worst, the hardest part of the journey. Uh, God leads you to make some really dumb decisions sometimes. Dumb in the eyes of the world. But before I get into what that is, I want to talk about the, the why. If you don't understand why we do things, um, you, it doesn't really matter what you're going to do or how you're going to do it. Uh, anyone ever tell you a story and you're like, I don't really care. You're just, you're just talking. I really don't care what you're telling me right now. There's no connection to me in what you're talking about. So I want to, I want to try to make a connection here. And I'll try not to make it too, uh, just too much like a, just a, a quick stab wound where it hurt like, oh, that's tough. But we, as believers, we are called to a couple things. So we've decided to follow Jesus. And if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, well, I'd love to talk about that more as well. But uh, I know most of you, just about all of you are familiar. There's a couple faces I've seen a couple times, don't know you too well yet. But I'm going to just, for assumption's sake, assume that over 90% of us have decided to follow Jesus in our life. And the reason we decided to follow Jesus is because we realized that we needed some mending. That we were lost in sin. Now, what are the wages of sin? We know that one. There's no prizes. You know the answer to that verse. But the, the wages of sin are death. As we live in sin, as we are caught up with in it, not only is there a death of what we call eternal hellfire. You know, you, that's the stuff that some of us when we were younger, we heard a lot of, and it scared us to death. But if you look at your everyday life, and you look at sin, it causes the death of many things that you love, right? The death of relationships, the death of physical health, the death of emotional health. The death of many things that God gives us that are good, sin leads to death of those things. But ultimately, the reason for all of this is that eternal question. And we don't like to talk about this in churches much anymore. 
we love to talk about love, right? Because love, God is love, and God is at the center of it all. But what does Scripture say about those who decide to follow sin as a lifestyle and never come to know God? Never come to be redeemed by Jesus. What does, this, what does Scripture say about that? Lost. Lost for eternity. So this right here, part of the why is this is, or this has eternal consequences. And not just for you. And part of our problem is the eternal consequences we have just said, I'm good, I'm taken care of, all done, right? And that is one of the missteps that we've taken in the past decades and centuries in the church. So I want to start out by reading Matthew 28:19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I'm going to pause real quick. When Pentecost, right? With Pentecost is the birth of the church. Jesus sends the disciples with the Holy Spirit in them as the church is being born. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always till the very end of the age. The number one job for Christians. There's no division in that word Christians. The number one job for followers of Jesus. That means laity. I don't like this divide between uh, the priesthood and the laity. I don't think it's biblical, scriptural. It's, It's Christians. But those who aren't official pastors, those who are official pastors, district superintendents, General superintendents, the Pope, the number one job for all Christians is to make disciples. We know that, right? It's here. But let's look at what we've seen in the church for much of our life. Has the number one job been to make disciples? Well, the number one job has often been, let's have a good place to hang out. Let's have a good place to be fed. Let's have a good place to have that emotional charge weekly in us. But the number one job of Christians, the newest Christian and the oldest Christian, is to make disciples. All right, that sounds a little bit intimidating to many people, but I promise you that there's more to it. It gets better. So in 2 Corinthians, um, and there's several verses kind of spread out. The chapter 5, though. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to him through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of of helping others find their way to be made right with God. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And this is, if you didn't, if you skipped over the rest of it, listen to this part. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. 
God set it up that we are His ambassadors to others. God is making His appeal through us. Let me ask a simple question. How many of you personally know, I don't want some weird internet story or whatever, personally know someone that came to know Jesus, but nobody had ever spoken a word about Jesus to them, or they had never seen a television show about Jesus, or they had never read a piece of literature about Jesus. How many people do you know of personally that have come to know Jesus and decided to follow him, but they had never heard or read the name Jesus? I've been around the world. I know of that many. We are Christ's ambassadors, and he has designed it to use us to spread that that life-saving, soul-saving news. Now, there there are some words that are scary to some people. If you're new to the church, these won't be as scary. But if you've been here a while, you may not like these. I actually don't like these terms sometimes because of the trauma that has been associated with them. Those two words are evangelism and discipleship. Man, I, when I was 19, I spent a summer in South Africa. And we were told, we're going to go do evangelism. So the word evangelism, it comes from uh, the Greek word that has to do with gospel or good news. Good news like Big G, meaning the good news of Jesus and his saving power. And we're going to do evangelism. You know what evangelism was then? Just a couple things, and they were both very weird to me then, and they're both very weird to me now. And one of these things was a puppet ministry. Man, we went out into, like, town squares, and they said, you guys need to put on a Christian puppet show. And I was like, Please, Lord, take my life right now. Man, maybe some of you are thinking, that is the greatest thrill of my life. Well, praise God that he has given us all different talents, desires, and everything. But man, I had hair almost as long as Butch's. Cool guy right there if you know Butch. And I'm here, long blonde hair. Cool guy, surfer-looking dude. Grew up in Southern California. And I'm doing a puppet show in South Africa. I was like, I'm going to tell kids about Jesus. Guess about the major, major impact we had that day, though. We didn't. Now, there might have been something good that happened later on in life. But I personally have never had much success with Christian puppet shows. I lived in Sicily for a while. Uh, That's where I, I, I learned to, a lot of church planning stuff, learned to speak Italian, and... The pastor there knew I love. I was called to really witness to people. I wanted people to know Jesus. He's like, great, I have something for you to do. He gave me this box. It had 10,000 tracks in it. You know what tracks are? Little Christian booklets. And he gave me a stamp with the name and address of the church. And he's like, I want you to stamp all of these. 10,000, that was fun. And then go and hand them out on the streets. I guarantee you, I am probably still banned from that area today from all the litter that ended up on the streets of that city as people looked at that and they're like, what what is this junk? Guess how many people came to church as a result of those 10,000 tracts that handed out over those weeks? 
zero. Now, if puppet ministries and handing out tracts were the key to bringing people to Jesus, we would be on it still today. It would be the greatest thrill of all time, right? But I started to see, hey, this doesn't work. Why are we doing it? It might have worked at some point. It may still work somewhere, but in these places where we're doing these things, they don't make sense. But we're like, it's our effort is all that counts. And so we keep doing it. Now, we're learning from those things. And there's discipleship. I have a funny discipleship story I'll tell in a bit. But evangelism and discipleship, they have morphed into things that are quite unhealthy, I think. You think of discipleship. Uh, let's see if I get the answer I'm looking for. Anybody, what, what do you think of when I say, hey, I'm going to teach about discipleship. What is that going to look like? What's that? Most people, how many of you have in your mind, we're going to sit in one of these classrooms and talk about discipleship and go through a workbook? I see yes. That is my thought of discipleship. Drew, if I want to start to learn how to paint houses in a very professional way, unlike the way I do things now, how good am I going to be at it if all of my training under you comes in the classroom? I've got to get out there and mess up, right? I've got to get out there and get practicing. Have to show them. Discipleship has become something that is just about training, about classrooms, about workbooks. You know, a better word for it, and I don't use the word discipleship hardly anymore. I use the word apprenticeship. So I'll get further into that. But these two words, we have kind of turned into a way that how many of you would be excited if I said, hey, Next week, I'm starting an evangelism and discipleship class. It'd probably end up being like Sunday school was today, right, Ken? At least you had some alone time with God, right? I, I, I love you, Ken. I'm not picking on you. I, I really love you. In the Great Commission, when God is sending us, he didn't say, go do discipleship. Go evangelize. He said, go make disciples. Go and make followers of Jesus. Paul had it right in 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. Now, in the past, you've heard about styles of evangelism, and we still talk about that some. But there's, we, we talk about friendship evangelism. Does that make sense when I say that? Is it becoming a friend with people? Personal evangelism. There's mass evangelism. That is the big events outside that might draw people in or in, a, in like a big stadium. Compassionate evangelism. And you all are out there feeding people in the name of Jesus. Compassionate evangelism. And then there is church planning. It's an interesting one. You don't really think about that as a type of evangelism, of spreading the good news of Jesus. Now this one is, uh, I don't know the truth about this one. And I'll tell you why. But I've heard that church planning is the best way to reach new people and win them to Christ. 
The stats are telling us that. But here's the other part of it. The reason that many of us think that is the best way to win new people to Jesus is because nobody's doing the other stuff. So if you're only doing one way, well, that's the only way that's going to work, right? So that's part of the equation. But let's go on. I want to get through a lot of of the why to talk about the possible hows. So what can we do to help solve this problem? We have to be intentional. Think to yourself, when was the last time I intentionally engaged someone for the purpose of winning them to Christ? Either now or eventually, but it started that process. And as you talk to the average Christian, it is very, very rare that there is an intentional engagement with people for the sake of Christ. It's pretty normal, right? If you're feeling a little guilty about that, don't. You're not alone. Part of it is how we've been raised in Christ. Part of it is how we've been taught in Christ. But let's come back to that initial purpose of why do we do any of this at all. There are eternal ramifications to us discipling, to us evangelizing, to us not engaging others for the purpose of Christ. When you go to the store, any store, whether you're one of those fancy people that go to Target or just a pure commoner like me, a Walmart guy, you're going to run in to people at the store who don't know Jesus and the sin that has entrapped them is killing their life here on earth. And you'll do much more than that for eternity. We don't like to talk about those terms. Some of us, this, this could hit some, uh, some nerves here, but some of us, I think, even if you haven't realized it, we believe in some kind of Jesus who in the very end of all things says, ah, you know what, I take it back, you're all good. Hey, I personally would love that. I would love it if the worst of the worst was forgiven no matter how they had been in this life. But I got one massive barrier. Scripture. But even more than Scripture, the Word Himself. The the Word in flesh. Jesus Himself did not seem to be saying that's the way it's going to go. And therefore, when we encounter people who don't know Jesus, we encounter people who are honestly looking at the possibility of eternal damnation. Not because God's a mean guy, but God has said, you need to choose a different way. Just just think about your own kids or someone else's kids or the world around you. You need to choose a, a different way or it's certain death for you. We all know people who live like that, right? And God is saying it is more than just your life on this earth where that is reality. There are two myths that we live by in disciple making. 
first myth. Faithfulness is all that God asks from us. What does it mean to be faithful? In the traditional sense, it means showing up on Sunday morning, right? Being a part of something. But is that real faithfulness? Is that all that God's, God asks us for? Once again, turning to Scripture, what I see from God is He says, what I want is obedience. That is a horrible word, right? The word obedience. How many of you think of like a, just some master with a whip? Do the right thing or boom. But that's not what it is. It is me saying to my voice, if you don't do this, there's going to be consequences. Not because I don't love you. Not because I'm not mean. Because I know that if you don't do what I'm asking you to do, well, let's just say I've been down that road myself. And it is better off for you just to listen to me right now. Because uh, try to do things different than I do. Try to learn from someone else's teaching instead of your own mistakes. God's obedient. Following God. Being obedient to His call. When God says... I am calling all of you to make disciples. It's not a do what I'm saying or else. It is if you do what I'm saying, you will finally start to understand the wholeness of all the great things I have to offer. Second myth. Only, and some of you are probably already thinking about this, only the gifted, gifted, who, who decides what's gifted? Only the gifted are called to make disciples. Now, I'm a, I'm, I'm a tiny bit of an extrovert. Uh, I, I, man, I'll talk to anybody. It drives my wife crazy. I love talking to people. And people say, well, that's for you, Jason. That, you're the one called to make disciples. You're the one to engage. Well, you're right, I am. But calling yourself an introvert or not a people person is not an excuse that gets you off from doing what God says is good for all of us. We are all called to make disciples. Some of you say, I don't like to engage people. Well, I promise you, there are some people in your life that you talk to. I promise you, there are things that you are good at. You're good at teaching. You're good at serving. You're good at embracing the hurt. You're good at encouraging those who are lost. There is something that God has given you that is a very special gift, unique to you, and He has asked you to make disciples using that, regardless of your personality type, all those tests that we take. Uh, Garen knows, as, as pastors, how many personality and gifts tests before coming to Florida, the district superintendent here had me do maybe a month of tests. I have bookloads of my, about my personality. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I realize it. I'm still weird. Now you guys know it too. Good job. But we are all called to make disciples regardless of what we perceive our gifts to be. I'm going to go through six things really quick. Sorry, I know this is more like a lesson, but I want to I hit some points on 
the why so we understand uh, where we're going with this. All believers are commissioned to disciple-making. In Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We started with that. Two, and this is where, when you are lacking confidence, as you're like, I know I'm supposed to engage people for the sake of Christ, but man, I just, I don't have it in me. We have the power of God. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We sing songs about this stuff all the time. Who's going to stand against you when God's with you? Who's going to prepare the way for you? Who's going to give you something that you just don't naturally have? Who is the one that created all this? Who is the one that cleanses you from sin and sets you free? You can't go through that stuff and then say, God won't be able to help me out when it's time for me to engage. Number three. This one will be funny if you all take this literal and you come dressed differently next week. Number three, we are all priests. Ken, I hope to see a clerical caller next week. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. God has called all of us to the priesthood of believers. Every single one of us is called to the priesthood of believers. Now, we have made up some hierarchies, you know. There are some leaders in the church they are meant to lead. They have the training, maybe experience. That's pretty scriptural. But we have set up a divide some of us are saying I'm not a priest, I'm not a pastor and that's not my job there really is only one job and that is disciple making and it looks a lot different for a lot different, uh, for different groups of us but we are all called to the priesthood look at Revelation 1.6 all have prevenient grace Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does his work before we're ever ready. That person that has already come to mind to you this morning and says, I wish they knew Jesus. I got fantastic news for you. God is already at work in their hearts. You look back at your own walk. Do you see when God was already at work in your heart before you ever said yes to him? God is already at work in the hearts of everyone because they're all his children. Which one of the people out there or in here has God said, I'm not going to work in that guy's heart. He's not mine. Every single one. 
So know that God is at work before you are even entering into the equation. Five, God's Spirit is wooing everyone. You know what wooing is? An easy way that I like to explain woo is W-O-O, winning others over. It's actually in a strengths-based training I, I was in. But they don't concentrate on your weaknesses, they concentrate on your strengths. And one of the things you learn is woo, winning others over. God's Spirit is wooing everyone. God's Spirit is already at work winning others over to Him. In John 6.44, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. And we know that He is at work before we even get there. And last one here, we can do more. John 14.12, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And then on top of that, I'm going to add Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. God wants to do stuff in you and through you that you never imagined was possible. He wants to. What does it usually take for that stuff to happen? All we have to do is say, yes, God. The thing that you're nudging me towards, I'm going to take that step of faith. You will see things happen you never imagined possible. I'm going to skip over some stuff. I know I get I get into storytelling sometimes. I've probably got some stories that will pop up here at the end that I don't have planned. So I'm going to skip over to just some important stuff. And one thing that I wanted to go over that, I, that I've learned uh, from a good mentor of mine is... I never thought of it this, uh, this when he first said it. But the most important number in the Bible... We got all these weird numbers in the Bible that are like recurring, right? 12, 40. So you know these numbers you often see, like, that is weird. I don't really understand all the significance of all that. But there is a number that I really believe is the most important. And that is in 2 Peter 3 9. Let me read this first and I'll explain it more. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. And in Matthew 18, 14, in the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. That most important number is zero because that is how many God wants to be lost. We know the story about the hundred sheep and one wanders off he leaves his his fortune there by itself 99 of them to go and get the one why? he doesn't want to lose a single one of us and us I'm not talking about us I'm talking about the global us 
God does not want to learn to lose a single one. Zero is the number that he has called to be lost. In John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone, this, listen to this, this part. This is the scary part. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You guys ever use that verse at home? Let me tell you, it will backfire immediately. Don't try it. Learn from my mistakes. God says we are here to make disciples. In his teaching, we are all to make disciples. If, according to the scripture, if we take that and kind of put some things together, anyone who loves him, anyone who loves God, will obey his teaching. And if you don't love him, you're not going to obey his teaching. This isn't some sort of guilt trip sermon here. This is just putting some pieces of scripture together to help us understand maybe what we in a, the big picture Christianity have been missing. And there are a lot of people who, uh, it's not me coming up with this stuff. I've learned from others based on questions that I've had. But if we are to do what God is asking us to do, if we do really love him, we will make disciples. So I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to try not to... I told a story once and I used the guy's name on accident. I'm going to try not to do that again. There's a very, very small, an extremely small chance that he's watching this. Um, but uh, in, in one church I pastored. Um, when I interviewed to go to the church, uh, we did it by Zoom. We were several states away. And uh, it was a great connection. But there was a third party there. And it was a, a couple who was a missionary couple that was part of this church. And they were on the Zoom call as well. And um, I thought, man, this is great. We've got a missionary couple in the church. We've got a great church and all. And um, they were a retired couple that did volunteer missions all around the world with Church of the Nazarene, all kinds of different places. And so and eventually we ended up accepting the call to this church. Went there. It was great. And about a month into it, this couple came back from their assignment overseas. I thought, man, this is awesome because... Uh, the reason I took this church is uh, part of my church planning stuff in the past. I was in former Yugoslavia, and I learned to speak Bosnian. Well, in St. Louis, there were 70,000 Bosnian refugees. And they had been basically untouched by the Christians. Most of them were Muslim. I was like, what a great opportunity. Well, within weeks uh, of being at this church, I realized from here to those doors right there, between there, there's a street, and right across that street lived a Bosnian couple. I'm like, what an amazing opportunity. So I'd spent some time with them, just kind of hanging out, talking about the old country. They gave me lots of good old treats that I hadn't had in years. And uh, this missionary couple's back, and I say to the, to the one guy, uh, he's like, man, we have an awesome opportunity. Let's go across the street. I was like, you, you've been all over the world doing stuff. Let's go. And he says, okay. And he comes with me. 
We get to the front door, knock on the door, and uh, start out by saying hi. The guy there speaks a little bit of English. And I introduce him to uh, this guy here who had been ministering in different parts of the world for many years. I look back at the guy that came with me, and he was as white as a ghost, looked more scared than I'd ever seen anyone in my life. And I was like, what is going on here? This is this guy's wheelhouse. Well, we, we talked a little bit there at the door, and I, I had to process some stuff. And I called my, one of my buddies I worked overseas with, and he said, that's one of the guys. He didn't know this. He was like, but that's one of the guys that we used to know like at the regional office or different places we'd go. Meaning, there are certain missionaries that go places and they never actually engage the people of the country that they're in. But they'll stay in the, in the office and do all the paperwork. Kinda, and I was like, whoa. It, it blew my mind. And it had turned out to be exactly opposite what I was thinking would be happening here. And that story goes to say you can be a part of all the right stuff. Go to all the classes, all the seminars. Do teaching within Christian bodies. And still not have taken that faith step. into putting it into practice. This materialized even greater uh, about a year and a half into pastoring there. As I began to teach uh, the scary words, evangelism, discipleship, classes. And it was always a mixture of a little bit of time of just talking, going over some stuff, and then we would go out and I would show them different ways of engaging the community. And as I really wanted to expand this with a great group of people, this guy spoke up almost in anger. Uh, He was in his 70s, and many of the people there were in their 60s to 80s, and most of them had been in church for a very long time. And he said, they're not ready. And it blew my mind to think that people who had spent decades in the church gone to every training seminar ever, every Nazarene uh, mission, you know, like M20, whatever it is. Anyway, you, do you know some of those things that they do in Kansas City other places where you can get trained beyond training? These people have done every book study, everything at all times. But at no point had they ever become comfortable with taking that knowledge that they had read, received somehow, and attempted to put it into practice. And that's when things started to click for me in a very, very different way. Our job is to build disciples. It's God's job to form the church. A couple years ago, God started speaking to me in a very, very different way than he had. In a way that I did not want to go. I will say as recent as uh, yesterday, I was fighting God on this. 
but I, uh, I enjoyed a, a good life in traditional ministry, somewhat traditional. Um, I, I realized earlier in life I had a thing for cross-cultural ministry. I have a, languages qu- click with me. Um, office work doesn't click with me. And that leads you down different paths. And so I spent a lot of years overseas. And I planted churches throughout former Yugoslavia, Croatia, Bosnia, Serbia, Slovenia. Loved it. I would do it for the rest of my life. I'd live in these places. I would love to. I'd still. I'd keep telling Mandy we're going to retire over there. And she's like, I don't speak language. She's like, ah, it's okay. We'll be fine. But now we're here. I'm not sure I want to ever leave. So you know how that goes. Um, anyway, it was good. And some changes within the organization happened. And uh, a lot of us who had been uh, commissioned missionaries decided to come back to the States and see what the next thing was. And when I came back and... Uh, five-ish, the first time coming back to stay here for a bit. Uh, I went on staff at a, at a church as a college pastor. I was 30 at the time. And I began to see that, like, our culture was heading the way of Europe's Christian culture. Now, if you've been to Europe, you know that half the ch- churches there are now museums or bed and breakfast or just empty. And I came back and was like, wow, the American church is heading that way. This is a little bit less than 20 years ago now. And as I began to speak with the, my colleagues and others in the denomination, like, no, no, no. We're, we're not going to do things the way, we're, we're not going to do church plants in houses, in cafes and other stuff. That's not how we do it here. I'm like, guys, uh, you all know the stories about uh, knowing history and studying it and realizing uh, by looking around, we've been through this before. I'm like, in Europe, this stuff's already happened, and we are on that path. The signs are pretty obvious. Well, I became very discouraged. And I went down the path of traditional ministry, still. Traditional meaning normal pastoral jobs, things like that. Not worrying about church planning, because I was like, well, all these guys who are, have better degrees than me and more experience are telling me that's not the way to do it. So I kind of followed there for a bit. But in this last pastorate, as I began to just to see the world around me was crumbling in the Christian world, our culture, our morals, our way of life was nothing like I hoped it would be. And I, I began to realize I've become an old guy because everything in the old days was so much better as I look back. And I felt God was saying, look at the churches around you. The numbers are shrinking. With shrinking numbers comes shrinking dollars. Soon, there will be no money for buildings. There will be no money for salaries. And God gave me a vision of the way things were going. I don't want to say a prophecy of the future, just an ability at that point to just read what was happening. And if we look around to places like this, there were, there were dozens around the country closing weekly, opening the doors and then closing them for the very last time. How many pastors do you know, Garen, that can't get a good-paying job anymore at a church? There's just not money there. There's not people there. And God was saying, Jason, I want you to take your experiences that you have from previously in life and do the dumbest thing you've ever done and quit pastoring this awesome church 
leave this comfortable, good lifestyle you have for a couple reasons. And one was I got a call from my Haitian friends. As these things shrink, these things, as they close, the money that goes to poor countries, guess what happens to it? That dries up before anything else, doesn't it? And they said everything from the Church of Nazarene in Haiti is gone. We get nothing anymore. Like we have 800 churches. They literally have 800 churches on that tiny half of the island. It's like, but we can't feed ourselves like we used to. Politics are worse than ever. They said, we want to start an old, a new organization, but we need some stateside help. And I was like, guys, I don't know what I'm doing, but I love you. We'll just give it a try. And so God was saying, we need to come to Florida um, to be closer to Haiti. And so uh, last, this last week, I met with the lead DS of Haiti. Um, there's 13 districts there. He's the head, and he's a seminary president. He came to Florida. So we met for a couple of days. And he has got some amazing vision for what to do. So we'll start working on that. But two, as I began to visit with Jen and Garen in this area, and they showed me around, and they told me some stuff, as we knew we were going to be in Florida, I visited from Destin to Miami and everything in between. People I knew surveyed stuff. And one stat that really stuck with me was the, uh, what do you call that triangle? It's like a Bermuda Triangle, but from Orlando, basically up Palm Coast to Daytona to Melbourne, and that triangle is one of the ten most unchurched and dechurched areas of the whole United States. And I felt God was saying, if you ever wanted to experiment, now's the time to experiment. And so as we began to talk, and dream. I met the DS here, Dale Schaefer, great guy, um, with a vision for this sort of thing. But here what it, here's what it came down to. God was saying, Jason, I want you to quit your traditional job, and I'm going to lead you to good old-fashioned back-breaking labor. I'm like, God, why would we do this? He said, because if you don't get your hands dirty, you're never going to meet anybody and show a different way for congregations and pastors who need to know this stuff for the coming, I want to say, I want to use the word famine in our traditional churches. So getting here, um, look for part-time jobs, looking for different things, began to meet people, uh, doing some work out at the Speedway, I have a background in, in racing, and was giving tours around the world, so I got some part-time work out of the Speedway doing that. It's been fun. It doesn't pay the bills. And so God was saying, you need to keep your eyes open. Well, as God does through us as Christians, uh, Justin actually led me to the, the next day. And uh, he's like, you got a box truck that you've been wanting to send to Haiti? And Haiti's so messed up, you can't send anything? He's like, we are short on appliance delivery and installation. And I'm like, I was like, oh yeah, I can, I know how to do that stuff. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. So uh, at the age of 46, I've been moving refrigerators, installing ovens, microwaves, garbage disposal, all this stuff that I never wanted to do. That I knew how to do. And I was like, I get home, my my knees hurt, my back hurts. I complain like my my grandpa used to. But what is happening? 
I am meeting people over a couple different counties every single day. And God has given some crazy, crazy relationship opportunities where I can share Christ in their homes as I'm putting in a fridge or a garbage disposal. Praying with people who, for some reason, feel like they need to tell me that they just lost their wife to cancer and they have it now. I've invited a lot of people to church in this last year. A lot of people. Maybe, maybe ten of them have showed up. Sunday morning is great here. We have it as good or better than almost any church around. But two things are happening. Either one, they're not showing up because they don't care what any kind of Sunday morning looks like. I could offer someone 20 bucks, they're not going to step foot in here. Or two, they come, they're like, yeah, that was great. I'll be honest, are they here again this morning? No. Sometimes we are stuck in the equivalent of doing puppet shows and handing out tracts on street corners. Those are good things. There's a time and place. But what these people are longing for is Jesus. The transforming power of Jesus. And what does Scripture say about that? That we are ambassadors. We are disciple makers. He didn't tell us to be bringers to hand off to someone else who hopefully they will do it. He said we are the disciple makers. I met two guys through work in, in Daytona there. One is a former minister. He's an odd guy. And eventually he just, you know, he wasn't cool. And he kind of got shunned from where he used to preach and stuff. Just He's, he's different. He loves Jesus. Believes in Him. Puts his faith in God for everything. But he goes nowhere with no congregation right now. Because it just doesn't make sense for him because he can't reconcile how Jesus and that place have anything to do with each other. Another guy, Ray. One of the funniest guys I've ever met in my life. Also one of the filthiest, filthiest mouths. And sometimes I laugh at both things. Not this Ray, don't worry. His son is a, a teacher in Africa tall, lanky, white kid who's converted to Islam. He's now going to move back to the States in just a couple weeks. Ray went to a a church uh, near where he lives in Ormond and asked the pastor about his son who's converted. And he said, eh, probably just lost forever. Guess what Ray has done with church since that point? I'm done. But Ray and I have some amazing conversations about Jesus. I've moved on to another bit of the appliance side. And I, I, I met some guys as I was doing some work for them who were getting me more to work in their family business and training me to do some stuff. This guy, Jeff, he's, he's, I love him. He's, I had no sense that he had ever stepped foot in church in his life. But one day we were driving around and he said, 
Now you're a pastor. Well, I, I used to go to this other church over in South Daytona. I did a lot of work for them. I would help them with their mulch, all this stuff. That's where I went to church. It's like, man, the pastors, they would come around with their suits on and the new cars, and I really felt like they were just looking down on me as a, as a laborer who owns his own business. Just kind of, he's like, I, just, I couldn't be around it anymore. I just didn't fit in. Now, this does not reflect on anybody here. That's not, that's not what I'm saying, Pastor Gary. You don't wear a suit, so don't worry about it. Uh, but we have got to change how we reach the lost in this world. One of the dreams I feel God has, has put into me, and as I, I, I'm meeting with a lot of different uh, other pastors around here who seem to have the same dream, and everybody's kind of independent, and they're just kind of weirdly coming together to talk about we have to do things differently to reach our our culture, our people, our neighborhoods. And so we are working on, uh, together and independently, it's really interesting to see this unity of the kingdom of, of, of God coming together. Uh, denominations usually work against each other. But things have become so desperate that I see Baptists, Methodists, Independents, everything, working together, say, hey, let's work together to start some different pockets of stuff where people want to spend time with us. A guy that really uh, I learned a lot from in my years in St. Louis. Here, I think you may have, have met him in uh, Orlando. His name is Hugh Halter. He did the traditional pastor thing. And he felt God would lead him down his same road. And hearing his story and spending time with him really got me, I think, down this path that I'm on where his dream was to have a space where people could just spend time and then he could spend time with them and people like him spend time with them. And he ended up moving to a town called Alton, Illinois. His son uh, was severely handicapped. They had a special home for him as an adult. And he and his wife eventually moved to that same town. And as he prayed a lot, walked around a lot, talked to people a lot, Someone there in the city got a building gifted to Hugh. That building just happened to be the old federal post office of Alton, Illinois. It is a mag. You just think of the old Art Deco buildings, massive building, stone columns. Inside, it was just like an old, it was the coolest building of all time. It was given to him for basically a dollar. And he has transformed it into a space. That is not a church. It is a cafe. And they're starting to employ people who don't know Jesus, but he can tell they need Jesus. And he lets other people use the spaces. And a church has actually started there. And you know what is on the sign of that church in that cafe? There is no sign on the church in the cafe. You're there because someone invited you. Anyone feels comfortable coming in. Hugh posted this yesterday. He was talking about some teaching he was doing a year before at a church. And he said, great memory of sharing some happy hour love. That's what they called that meeting time. And he says this, message me if you're tired of political and religious banter. And you simply want to enjoy time with people. 
isn't that what we all just want? To enjoy time with people? Enjoy time with each other? And when you, and I know this from experience, when you add Jesus to that mix, and Jesus is there, and he's the focus of the core group there, that time with people is transformative. God is calling us to make disciples. That is without doubt. Every single one of us is called to make disciples. But I'm telling you, it doesn't have to be how you've always thought it has to be. If you have a dream of how you would like to reach people, if you have a dream of starting some cafe church, a cafe where a group can meet, I'd love to hear more about it, Lisa. Um, if you have a dream of any sort, if you've got a boat and you want to start disappearing island church out there, whatever it is that you love and you want to dream about it, I would love to hear it because God needs to speak to all of us. And sometimes he's going to speak to one of you and we need to share that vision. And here's the, the final thing. The greatest adventure I have ever been on is the one where God has called me to win people to him. I've been to Paul's prison. You know, the one in the Roman Empire? Supposedly his prison. I've been there. Paul had it made in life. You know that, right? But the call that God put, him on, put on his life took him to be shipwrecked, beaten, thrown in prison. As I was sweating more than I ever sweat in my life the other day, trying to load a big refrigerator in a truck. I was like, man, prison sounds good about now. But that very same day, God put someone in my life and it changed everything. There is no better crescendo in your personal walk with Jesus when it becomes outside of the personal and someone comes to Jesus through your love. There's been no greater moments than me witnessing someone giving their heart to Jesus and knowing that they have been set free. Next week, uh, we're going to talk about freedom. A little little precursor. We got Fourth of July Sunday, right? It's on the third. There is freedom, and then there's freedom that supersedes anything that anybody has to offer us outside of Jesus. And then the celebrate recovery. We'll have their recovery celebration. But what I want you to do, I, I thought about having people do the old-fashioned thing when you stand up and say, I'll do it. But I, I don't want you to do that. I know that God has some visions in some of your hearts where there are things that, he, that you're saying, I think that God is calling me to be a part of this. How can we expand on that? I know that I don't care. I know that many of you don't care how many rears are in seats here on Sunday morning. Because we know there is a number that is way more important than that. And that is that we have zero people left behind without Jesus. Let's pray together.
Father, we praise you. I praise you so much for this great adventure you have us on. Lord, I, I don't want to ask for it to be easier. I want to, I pray that you show us that it's worth the while. I don't think that any of us would hesitate to do anything, no matter how hard it would be, if we know that it is worth the while. So, Lord, I know that we aren't called to see the fruits of labor, but Lord, we want to know that the effort is worthwhile. It has been for us, so let us know that as we follow you, as we engage others, that, Lord, there is nothing better than having a lost sheep found. And may, may we be bold enough to take those steps outside of our things that we've learned, outside of our book times, our seminar times, and put that stuff into action and not be afraid to fail, Lord, because when you were with us, there was nothing that is just is an obstacle to you. We praise you, Father. And I pray that we, in this local congregation, will grow closer than ever. Not just for our own benefits, Lord, but so that we can be sent as, as warriors on your behalf, as laborers to sow that harvest. God, we await you and your instructions so that we can follow in obedience. We praise you in all things. Amen. We come to the table today. My mind uh, goes back to my teaching years, and there, there was the mindset of, I do, you help. I do, you do. You do, I help. Right? Similar? And I sit there and I think, the table is such a great reminder as Jesus would liberate people and he would have his disciples helping. And then Jesus would offer up his life and we join in and offer up our lives. And then now we do and he helps because it's all through the power of his spirit. Um, that's what this table is about. It's discipleship and evangelism to the nth degree. And so we come and we remember that Jesus is the one who discipled us and now calls us to disciple through his power. And so we're going to take communion together. And so I'm going to invite you to come through the middle aisle and maybe, Jason, if you can help me distribute and then we'll all take it together. So as you're ready, let's come to the table.
on that night in the upper room, that Passover meal, our Lord met with his disciples. And he transformed everything. And he took bread that represented one thing, and he said, new script. This bread represents my body, which will be broken for you. So every time you take this, eat and remember my body. Let's take the bread together. And then he lifted up the cup. And he said, this cup represents my blood, which will be shed for you. Whereas at one time it was the blood of the spotless lamb that was put on the doorpost and the doorframe. It would soon be a different type of framework. And it would be the blood of Jesus that would be shed for our forgiveness. So as we take it, let's drink and remember and be thankful. We thank you, Lord, for doing what we could never do. And we thank you for inviting us into this this story of yours, this story of love and redemption. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to become people that step out beyond our comfort zones. Because as Jason said at the beginning, this is not an invitation for certain people. This is a call to disciple and reach others for you. And there are no exceptions. And so I pray that we will all take responsibility for the joy of reaching people for you. Jesus, you do something through us when we disciple and evangelize. You do something through us that is aside from the benefits of the other person. But Jesus, I pray that you will help us to keep that zero number in mind. So that as we're at the gas station or at Publix or at the restaurant or at the park or wherever it is, Jesus, I pray that you will help us to remember that there are zero that you want lost, but that you are for all people and make us a church that is for all people. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, will you stand with me? At our church, we sing our benediction and I need you to really sing out because I love hearing it. And uh, if you've been joining us online, I want to invite you to join us in person next week, and uh, let's sing our benediction together as, as we go. We sing, hallelujah, let your kingdom come in our hearts, in our homes, let your will be done as we go in your name, we shout and we proclaim, Let your will be done in us. Go in God's power to love others.